0: I'll
1: tell you after class. Or, no, I'll tell you when we get started. And that way uh, people know. Come on. You worked well. Oh, there we are. Okay, good. We're on. Okay, Jim. We're in 153. Yes. Resh. Resh. Head of man, first top beginning.
0: Look upon my suffering and deliver me, for I have not forgotten your law. Defend my cause and redeem me. Preserve my life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek out your decrees. Your compassion is great, O Lord. Preserve my life according to your law. Many are the foes who persecute me, but I have not turned from the statutes. Look on the faithless and with loathing they do not obey your word. See how I love your precept. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your love. All your words are true.
1: All your righteous laws are eternal. Amen. Heavenly Father, wow! It sure is good to be in your presence right now. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to meet here and to share in your word. And oh Lord, there are many people around this world that uh, don't even have a copy of the Bible, and uh, they hunger for your word. And here we have ten in every house, and they're just neglected. And it's it's such a sad state that we're in in this nation. And uh the other once Christian nations of the world and I would pray that uh, people would turn their hearts back to you and to this precious word. It's, it's eternal. It's been standing as your authoritative word for thousands of years and yet people just turn their eyes and their ears away from it and to their own wicked ways. Lord, please do turn our hearts back to you. And Once again, we thank you that we can meet here. We thank you for this uh, chance that we have to uh, just share in this word and I would ask that uh, we would handle it appropriately handle it correctly and uh, never never misuse it not now or at any time during the day or throughout our lives that we would just hold fast to it and keep it in context and uh, to your glory and Lord we do pray this to your glory and we pray it in Jesus name Amen Amen. Um, okay real quickly we uh, on Sunday there's people that are online and I have to apologize to him because on Sunday we did not have streaming, and most of them probably know that because I announced it during the proxy Update, and maybe they, they watched that on YouTube. But um, uh, the uh, system was down, and Sergio was able, over the past couple hours, we've been working on it, and uh, since about 3 o'clock or so he, he called. And uh, uh, it, what it was, just so you're aware, is that uh, it, we got an update through Microsoft with the new server and uh, it was incompatible, and so he had to do something, and then do something else, and then YouTube has an update to you know the the streaming system, and uh, so he what he is going to do, and he can't do it now. So if we don't if we go down again, before he gets back from Italy, um, it will be because of something like that. Somebody sent in an update, and what he's going to do is when he gets back from Italy, he's going to come over here for a uh, a weekend, and uh, when he does, he'll manually change it so that that type of thing doesn't happen in the future and if we get an update it'll just send us a notice and we can update it at our convenience but um, I apologize for that and it's just one of those things that when you build a new system you just don't know until something comes up and uh, it, it, it just really bothered me I went to bed not really sleeping well thinking of all the people that attend that you know they take communion with us and they pray with us and this is their church and uh, I'm so thankful that he was able, even from Italy, in a town that had really bad internet service. He was able to, he had to actually turn off the FaceTime when he was talking to me, so that he had enough internet to do what he was doing. Then he'd call me back, and and so we're very thankful that he was able to do that today. And uh, so that's that's why we're. Uh, no, they, uh, they had their, a couple earthquakes as far as fun, you know, okay, they, yeah, they okay. they, they didn't gonna, have any earthquake trouble, but, but they I were started. down in Venice and, uh, mm. uh, they had birthday parties and, you know, they had a, I don't know if any of you saw the Arab birthday party they had because the family, Rhoda's family came to visit them to mm. celebrate a wedding and a, a, a birthday up in Italy. Mm-hmm. And, um. Oh, my gosh, they had candles on their cake. Did you see, anybody see that? Uh-uh. They were like, you know, you talk about Arabs and blowing stuff up. These candles were going, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the flames were like this high. I'm like, oh man, gosh. you burned down your house with one of those things. But it was, it was very cool. So anyway. Fix
0: your skirt on
1: the gizmo. Oh, thank you. Let me close that up. Yeah, we don't want that to look bad there. Okay, sorry about that. Okay, let's get into the, the Bible class. We our, our first verse today, we're getting started, is uh, Romans 1, verse 32.
0: Although they they have known God's righteous decrees, that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of
1: those who practice them. Okay, very close to what I have here. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Once again, you know, the Bible never speaks about no death penalty or anything like that, and God is the ultimate arbiter of death anyway. Um, Not only do they do the same But they also approve of those who practice them So um, uh, let's see here We have um, This is the final verse isn't it It Look at that Romans 1 is done This is the last verse of the chapter And it sums up the discourse which began in verse 18 So what we're going to do Because it's been a while since we were there Is we're just going to go ahead and reevaluate everything From uh, 18 all the way down to 32 today Okay that's not true (laughs) <laughs> anyway, um, uh, yeah, it, 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 the entire discourse from verse 18 down to here is one thing. And uh, all that Paul has said since then shows that man is without excuse when God judges him. That's all there is to it. And you know, it doesn't matter. You know, people say, well, how dare God this? And, hello, can we help you? Um, anyway, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, we t- you always hear people, if you witness to people long enough, and I, I'm sure several people in here, I've heard this a million times where you say something like, um, um, you know, judgment day is coming. Well, God has no right to judge me. And you hear this kind of flippant attitude as if they're the center of the world. You've heard people like that. I know. I got one head shaking back there for sure. It's it's like, how dare God judge what I do? He's God. Anyway, um, so uh, let's see here. Um they're without excuse when God judges them we're all gonna stand what does it say where is it every mouth will be stopped mm-hmm. um, anyway we're all gonna stand before the Lord and there's gonna be no bargaining there's going to be no pleading. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was young um, happy days remember happy oh, days in yeah. the Fonzie and mm-hmm. uh, Ricky was it Ricky Ron Howard yeah. Richie R- okay Richie yeah. somehow was in the hospital I don't remember the details but I remember him being in the hospital And uh, Fonzie was talking to God, and he was like, you know, making this plea deal with him. It's so unrealistic. You know what I'm saying? God is God. We don't don't make bargains with him, and when we get up into his presence, we're not going to say, well, I was okay in doing what I did because. There's going to be none of that. There is complete black and white with God. There is no gray area at all. And we need to remember that, is that every single decision that we make has to be grounded in something. It has to be, because if it's not, then we're going to be on the, well, black or white, whichever is the bad side in that issue. Everything we decide, like I say, pulling a voting thing or writing it in or whatever, that's a moral decision that we make. It doesn't matter what it is. Every single thing that we do, should I go help this person or should I not? Why am I not helping this person? Maybe there's a reason that is valid. But whatever it is, we will have to uh, be held accountable for it. I won't say, it. huh? You want me to say, it? I, this morning, I just, I, I'm not angry at the guy, I just don't understand sometimes humanity. I was at the mall doing my morning job, and the drugstore asked me to move a giant, giant thing, it's, you know, one of these things that spins and it has 4,000 um, eyeglasses on it, right? Oh, and it was very big and very heavy, and they said, we want it thrown away. In the dumpster right and this thing's probably 450 pounds oh and so I didn't want to break it apart there because it, I would have made a mess I wanted to do it by the dumpster and there were two delivery guys in vans that were right there and I was literally struggling to get this that 70 feet over to the dumpster and they never one of them was just as big strong never offered to help or anything and it, it took me probably eight or ten minutes to get that thing over there my whole body hurts right now and I got it taken apart but you know that's the kind of thing I, I think why wouldn't somebody just say can i help you with that
0: or i have a hand truck yeah i got a
1: hand truck like or something you know wow. but whatever i it, it, and that just happened to come to mind that's why i was going to say it. i'm not going to say it but you asked but you know when you see somebody in need them oh, yeah. a hand yeah you know it's not like and he was talking on the phone the whole time he was just talking to some girl or something so whatever anyway but we need, to, we need to be accountable in ourselves for the decisions we make. If we see somebody that's... What does it say? If you see somebody's uh, donkey that's under a burden, help them, right? A donkey. Um, I, I know I'm not a donkey, but I'm, I'm almost a donkey. You could have helped. Anyway...
0: machine, um, you might have got some... Well, that's right. If it was an ATM
1: machine, maybe somebody would have came to help. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's see here. Uh, we can know enough about him, meaning God from the creation itself, which goes right back to Romans one eighteen, we can know enough about him from the creation itself that we stand condemned when we go against what is right and obvious. And that ought to be obvious. We, we know, we look up in the, the sky, Psalm one, uh, 19, verse 1, it says the heavens declare the glory of God. We know these things. We absolutely know them. And so when we go against what we know he has ordained, the parts don't fit man to man. They just don't a man is made for a woman. And we know when we are doing something perverse, and yet we go ahead and do it. And we say, it doesn't matter because I'm in love, right? That is irrelevant. These things, people find every reason to be disobedient to the word of the Lord. Anyway, um, so let's see here. We instinctively know about him, meaning God again, and therefore we know the righteous judgment which will necessarily proceed from him. He says that. He says, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice these things are deserving of death. We know that. And these things will proceed from God. If we know the nature of God because of the creation, then we will know that the nature of God demands that his righteous judgment come. Everybody knows this. It doesn't matter what culture you go to on this planet. There are a couple things that people instinctively know. Some people will deny it, but they instinctively know it. Every culture I've been in, they know that there is a a God. They know that there is a... Judgment, which means a... Well, I'm talking about a place of judgment. Hell. hell. I, everybody knows this. Now, I don't care where I've been on this planet. Every single person knows that there's a God, that there's a judgment, that there's a hell. And there's a conscience, as she says. We know these things. We know right from wrong. We know that it's wrong to steal. Some cultures allow stealing. They don't, you know... It, well, he's just boys, you know, and whatever. And especially, like... Well, I won't say it, but some cultures that I have been in it's almost chronic with them, but they know it's wrong. They allow it, but they know that it's wrong. And when you steal from them, they are offended. Of course. Absolutely. People know an offense, but if they can get away with it, they will. So, this judgment comes to those who practice such things, as Paul said, and as described in verses 21 through 31, and what are by then meaning deserving of death. Okay? The judgment comes to those who practice such things, they're described in those verses, and they are deserving of death. Okay? This doesn't mean that they will receive death, but that this is what is deserved. We do something that we know we shouldn't do, we'll probably die. And, you know, some people know that if you drink three gallons of uh, certain, I don't know, Jim Beam or something, it's probably going to kill you. Some people happen to not die. What's the guy... um, uh, Martin Sheen, not Martin Sheen, the son, the one that's... Cr- oh, uh, Charlie. Charlie Sheen. You know, he's, he's tempted death again and again, and he says, I'm invincible, apparently, because he's taken so many drugs, and you know, he's got HIV, and he can take drugs to cure that, and he thinks he's invincible. And you know what? Eventually, he's going to come to his mortal end. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the meantime, it, it may not have gotten death for what he's done, but it's coming, and he will get the judgment in the end. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, they're aware of it. And thus it shows their guilt in continuing on in the face of the looming judgment when you know you're doing something wrong and you're not getting you know punished for it you think well i can get away with it but they know it's coming they know everybody knows it's coming and it's, it, especially you know i remember hearing um d james kennedy dr kennedy who used to Coral Ridge ministries he, he's dead but um he used to give a, a very good sermon they were very short never related to the Bible. You know, a lot of them were related to like Abraham Lincoln or something, or they were uplifting. But um, he did say one very short sermon one time that was on. um, I think the guy was Voltaire, is he the atheist? Okay, it was him then. I the the name struck, and he said, you know, he gave a contrast of two people. I think one of them was John Knox, who was the um, Scottish um, Presbyterian minister, and um, I may be quoting the wrong person, but. I remember what he said. He had a favorite verse in the Bible. He called it his anchor. And as he was dying, he said to his wife, "Read me my anchor one more time." And it was something from the Book of John, right? And he died really peacefully. And then Voltaire, who had been, di- you know, uh, uh, denying God his whole life and acting like a, uh, you know, just it, it, the end is never coming, he described the scene of this guy's death. And he said somebody described it in writing, and he read what this guy wrote, and he said. You've never seen such an exhibition in your life of pure horror, pure dread, because he knows that the time has come. And he was literally horrified at what was coming because he knew, you know, how do you want to die? Do you want to die on a bed saying, I know that my redeemer lives and I'm going to be standing in his presence and I'm going to be receiving a reward? Or do you want to die thinking I tested him right till the end? And in the end, but I know who you're going to say right now is Stalin. Is that who you're thinking of? No, I was oh. going to say Voltaire. He,
0: was, he, he cursed the Christian religion. He was yes, so did. atheistic. Today, I believe today, certainly in the future, yes, House? Then, house, Castle turned into a Christian... Uh,
1: Monastery. No, it was a Christian printing factory where they printed Bibles. He spent his whole life trying to get rid of the Word of God. His whole had, life. And the ironic thing is that his house was turned into a a, a printing factory for Bibles. I, I has a so. sense of humor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. he does. Oh, yes. But uh, the one I thought you were going to tell me was Stalin, who on his deathbed, literally, as he was dying, the last thing he did. Now imagine the perversity of a person that would do this. He looks up and he goes. It. He shook his fists in God's face, knowing that God is there
0: right.
1: to his very last dying breath. Instead of instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to meet you. I don't know how it's going to be. He was defiant to the very end. But that proves that he knew there was a God because he wouldn't do that. if you. Why would you bother with that as your last act of humanity? So anyway, hi ladies. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, okay, we're, uh, oh yeah, when his uh, wrath is poured out, which it will be, there will be no valid reason to speak against it. Every mouth will be stopped. Everybody will be shut up when they stand in the presence of the Lord. Yep. Now, I think it will be rather hard to shut up a lot of the Christians because when we're standing in his presence, no matter how bad the judgment is, as far as loss of rewards, we're still going to be shouting hallelujah. Mm-hmm. I am here because of the lamb. So when it says every mouth will be stopped, I think it's concerning condemnation but certainly not jubilation because I I, I can't think of anything that I want more in my life than to see the face of Jesus and you know what when I see that I don't need to see anything else I don't need to see my dogs again I don't need to see my children or my wife we talk about going up to be with the saints that's great I I, maybe I'll see mom once in a while on Sundays or something but if I can just see Jesus I will be happy with that I I, I have to tell you I, I honestly mean that what else could I want right that's my highest desire. I, you know, and I'll be happy if I get to see one of my dogs or whatever, but if I don't, I got everything I need right in the face of Jesus. It's not
0: going to ruin heaven. The what? It's not going to ruin heaven. It's not going to
1: ruin heaven. That's right. All right. So okay. every mouth will be stopped. However, knowing this, they purposely fail in the things they should do, and they intentionally act in the ways that they shouldn't. This is what Paul has described. As I said, from 18 all the way down to here, people follow the same perverse course. All right? Paul goes on to say that if that wasn't enough, they are not only they not only do the same, but they also approve of those who practice them. Mm-hmm. Now, think of this: think of the people in America right now. We see mm-hmm. the people in Hollywood that do mm-hmm. all these terrible things, and people on the sidelines applauding them. Oh, look wow. at the look at the perverse thing this person thought of. And then we don't only practice these things; we approve and we we applaud people in the perversion which is going on. And what does that do? It stimulates them to do worse. Mm-hmm. The more perverse you are, the more perverse you will become. It's just like absolute power corrupts absolutely. The more powerful you get, the more corrupting you will be in your power. The same thing is with perversion. There is never a point where you can stop. And so somebody says, ooh, I've got something new and all these people like that. Now I've got to think of something else. Right? It just is one thing after another. So um, uh, in other words, they applaud as others take their perverted course. Sinful man doesn't want to act alone in his sin. But he wants to make a party of it. The common expression, come on, everybody does it, is what is being relayed right here in Paul's words. It's okay, everybody does it, right? Mm -hmm. How many times do we justify anything with that? We've got a lady that's running for the presidency of the United States right now that has committed federal crimes. And what is the, 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 what people are doing right now when they are charged with the same thing? In the Navy, we've had a guy, we've had a, they're saying, Mm -hmm. she did it. They're using her as an excuse. That's just one example. That's just a a political example of wrongdoing. But you could do that with any type of wrongdoing that there is. They do it. Everybody does it. Go ahead. Woman, not a lady. Oh, a woman, not a lady. Thank you. She is definitely not a lady. That's correct. So um, let's see here. Um, uh, Where was I? Uh, Oh, the comment. Oh, I I, I said that. Okay. Thus, there is not only an expected hand of judgment, but it will be doubly just. They have looked for help and have brought others along to join them. And so everybody does it. Come on, everybody come along with me. We're all going to go on the same party. And that's one of those things that, you know, there was that country song that came out uh, a couple years ago about... I, and I, I don't remember the <coughs> lyrics of it, but I, when I get to hell, I'm, all my good friends will be there. And, yeah. <laughs> People, just test, they're, they're testing the Lord. What's that? I think it's Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson, maybe. That sounds like a Willie Nelson song. Yeah, yeah. I just... Man, I don't understand what people, some of the things that people say, you know, it's like people that smoke, and if you smoke, I don't care, you know, that's your thing. But when they smoke, and I I heard this many, many times when I was at the wastewater plant on Siesta Key, a lot of the guys smoked, and they'd pull it out and they'd say, another nail in the coffin, yes. right. and then yeah. when they were dying of cancer, there was a lawsuit that they were in, engaged in, right? Yeah. We're going to get money because of this, and yet they're the ones that were willingly saying, another nail in the coffin. So whatever, it's a it's a party of depravity in the world. Um, let's see here. All of this leads back to what preceded this dis- discourse on depravity. Paul's words concerning the gospel can now be seen in much a clear in a much clearer light. So you can see why he introduced the gospel and then he talked about depravity is because it highlights how glorious the gospel is. That's Paul is a master of doing these things. He shows you one thing, he contrasts it, and then you will go in and introduce something else. And he also quite often argues from the lesser to the greater he'll do that all the way through his writings well he'll make an argument and he will say if this how much more this if this how much more this and he's going to do that a lot in like Romans 5 he's going to get into the the lesser to graders anyway um, let's see here what did Paul say he said for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Right? So, the spiral of depravity justly deserves God's punishment and condemnation. But God, who is rich in mercy, has granted a pardon to the fallen sons of Adam. And you know what? I, I can read this and I can kind of talk smugly about it. But there were 36 years of my life where I was in the same boat as the rest of these people. I was in that same boat. And how many times do we have a prophecy update where I highlight somebody and they say, man, until I was 50, I was, you know, and my life changed overnight. And we were all in it at some point. We were all in this party and we were all going down one road and all of a sudden we meet Christ. And what a gracious offer that is. You know, and the more that I think about it, the more I wonder how how people can't see it. I mean, I didn't. And I don't remember how I didn't, but now that I see it, it's, everything is so obviously clear that I just don't understand how people can't it's see so it. Not so
0: much a didn't, it didn't,
1: a wouldn't. Wouldn't. Well, that's right. It's a wouldn't. It's not a didn't. It's, it's just you would not. That's You're right. So anyway, um, let's see here. Um, he's granted a full pardon to the fallen sons of Adam. He has meted out the punishment that we deserve in his own son, Jesus. By faith in that, we can be cleansed from our past sins and stand justified before our creator the gospel of christ is the power of god the salvation for everyone who believes the choice is ours stand condemned for the deeds committed in the flesh or to have them judged in god's chosen substitute anybody want to choose the first don't raise your hand please yeah we want the we want christ all right Amen. heaven or hell waits for all people and there is only one way to heaven through the shed blood of christ and that brings me to uh what was it that somebody was asking a question about today and um, let me think of it it falls into this and uh, anyway um, I was taught talk- oh I know what it was um, i mentioned her to Hedico and somebody else a-, a day ago but I have a girl that is taking college courses and um, she one of them is a religion course and she's really struggling because the teacher is really liberal and she, she gives all of this information factually from all the other religions on the planet, but what does she do with Christianity? She writes her own commentary and they're 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 actually attacks on Christianity. There there's no there's you know, she went through this long thing that she sent it to me, and of course what I do is I respond and I give her all the information she needs to compile to give her a rebuttal. One of the things she said And, you know, I almost stopped right there and said, because this all goes into an open format for all the students, okay? I'm not giving you all the information at once, but it goes into an open format. And I almost stopped with, like, the first paragraph. And I said, if she can't get this right, the whole thing is suspect. Jesus was born in Nazareth, Hmm. right? And that's what she said. Where was Jesus born? Where would you get that Jesus was born in Nazareth?
0: Jesus of, Nazareth.
1: Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth, but he grew up there. But the point that I'm making is that the Jesus Seminar, which is the most anti-Jesus group on the face of the world, all they do is attack him. There are a bunch of uh, theologians that have come together that hate God, they hate the Bible. They call themselves the Jesus Seminar, and they have pulled out all of the words of the Gospels, and they've come up with. Three parts of sentences and they said we know that these words belong to Jesus and everything else is suspect everything they've completely destroyed Christianity in people's lives well they are the ones that say Jesus was born in Nazareth and they know the New Testament as well as anybody they just hate it and so she is getting information from the Jesus seminar and she's putting it out as fact night I said if she can't get and so I quoted uh, Matthew and Luke which say exactly where Jesus was born I said if she can't get that correct and here's what she did She theologically attacked Christianity okay and then she says in your rebuttal you are not to give any theological discourse you can only give historical facts and so what I did is I cited to her I said you need to cite Simon Greenleaf who I've talked about in this class before Simon Greenleaf was the principal founder of Harvard Law School you'll remember once I start talking about him he uh, didn't believe in Christ he wasn't a Christian and he was dismissing the Bible, just like all these lugheads up in, in seminaries and colleges all over the world do right now. And two of his students challenged him. They said, well, listen, you're a lawyer. Why don't you take the time and disprove the Bible? Right? And so he, being an honest lawyer, which is very hard to find, he uh, he uh, said, okay, I'll take you up on that. And he went through the Bible and he came to the conclusion that this is nothing other than what it claims based on a legal analysis of the Bible. And he became the father of, what's the term? Judicial apologetics. Lee Strobel is one of his, you know, benefactors. He's, Lee Strobel is a judicial apologist, right? He legally defends the Bible. Well, that's what this man did. He became the father of judicial apologetics. And he said, he gave a quote, and I'm going to misquote it. I don't have it written here, and I wish I'd brought that and printed off what I had done, but uh, he gave a quote that says, any document that, from a historical perspective, meets the following requirements, and he went through all of them. It appears to be untampered with, blah, blah, blah. He went through every one of these things. He says, must be taken at face value. It is a historical document, and so it deserves the benefit of the doubt in a court of law. And this is any legal document it doesn't matter what if you enter something into a court of law if it meets these requirements it is to be taken as valid okay and his proclamation is that the Bible is definitely this okay and so I said to her because this man has done this and he is he's a a lawyer he's a um, one that argues case law and he has submitted this I said you now have a reason to challenge every single theological issue that she has said she wants a historical answer, not a theological answer, but because this is a valid historical document, mm-hmm. you use the Bible as it's written to challenge her. And I gave her a precept on every one of the things. And there were probably 150 of them. It took me hours to type this up yesterday. But I took the time, I did it for her, and I sent it on. I said, now you compile it and you send it in. And every one of those students should have a chance to see this because it is a legal challenge to this Horrible thing that this woman said. You know, you wouldn't believe some of the things. What if I if I think of it, you about? I don't know what school. You know, I, I don't know the teacher's name. I don't know okay. the school. I, I, I don't want to get into all of those things with her. I just want to help her with Understood. how yeah how to understand the Bible and how to defend it. If I knew all of the other things, I'd probably write a nasty letter to the lady. So I just don't want to know. Mm-hmm. But I you know she asked for this help, and I've decided to give it to her. That's and I, and I've learned at the same time. I've reminded myself of certain yeah. things, but there you go, it all pertains right to what we're talking about right here anyway, so um, uh, let me go on where was I, Um, uh, he's meted out the punishment that we deserve the gospel of Christ is the power of salvation for everyone who believes the choice is ours, I know I've said this already stand condemned for the deeds committed in the flesh or have them judged in God's Mm -hmm. substitute heaven heaven or hell waits for all people and there's only one way to heaven which is through the shed blood of Christ and that's what got me into that discourse because all of the people in her class are being challenged with whatever little faith they may have already had it's going to be ruined by this woman unless somebody stands up and says this needs to be defended against and it's very easy to do it is very easy to do if you're willing to take the time and go to the bible and say that you know i won't get into i could go all night about what she said maybe i'll just print that off and read it to you or something because what Bring you can post it, it on the website. Uh, well, I don't want to because it's, you know, she's going to use that. It, it, it's right. it, it's a teacher's schoolwork, in other words. And so I don't want to post it on the Internet. I don't mind reading it and then bring analyzing the it. But bring I don't. It in a copy. Well, yeah, I bring in a copy. And we can just. If somebody will have to remind me because I'll get home and I won't remember. But okay. anyway. Bicycle? Um, bicycle. Commentary. Commentary. <laughs> yeah. There'll be more by the end of the night. Sure. Um, okay, let's see here. A little life application from Romans uh, one thirty two, and then... Uh, We'll move into a new chapter. Uh, Let's see, the old cliche, love the sinner, hate the sin rings true. We have all fallen short of God's standards, and all people have stood condemned before him. But in his mercy, he sent Jesus (laughs) to take the wrath that we justly deserve. Therefore, let us continue to pray for and be a light to others who have yet to receive his indescribable gift. That's what I did to this girl without giving her name. The last email that I sent her is, I said, I would hope that your efforts, being a young person that's in a college who you're supposed to have respect for your professor, will show her her errant ways, and maybe she'll come to the Lord. If not, man, she's going to be highly accountable for her the way she is treated. I, I mean, just I can't believe the things that she says in her commentary, which are so, so false. Mm-hmm. And people aren't willing to check that. They're not going to go read the Bible and see if she's telling the truth. So. They're so inclined yeah. You don't
0: have to scratch deep to get it. No, you
1: don't have to scratch deep. That's right. You know? But if you if you call into question the, the traditional Jesus, then they're not going to even scratch because they're going to say it's all lies anyway. And that's all she's done is she's caused doubt on every basic. Well, I thought Jesus was born in Bethlehem. How are they going to know that he wasn't born in Nazareth unless you take them to the source? Right? But now their faith is harmed because they say, well, I guess it was all lie anyway, without even knowing how to check or where to check, and, right. you know, it's very sad is that people are... Is it comparison religion, or is it... I don't know. I don't even know the I course know the title. Course. All I know is that she said, can you help me with some some of these religious issues in a course I'm taking, and, and oh, I, I, what a challenge. I'm telling you, it's just been great. It's just, you know, it's been great, but I want her to write the material up. I'm just giving her the information, and... Uh, Uh, you know let her figure out how to do it and I said oh here's one that she did just this came to mind because she came back to me she posted something right it was all of the stuff that I'd sent her and compiled and the teacher came back and challenged one thing that had nothing to do at all with her attack on Christianity one of the things that she brought up was the Talmud Mm -hmm. saying that the Talmud predated Jesus and he got all of his theology from that and blah 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 and she was going on like this and I said well that's completely incorrect The Talmud, you have the Jerusalem Talmud, which was the 4th century, and the Babylonian Talmud, which was uh, compiled in about the year 500, right? And she challenged it and said, no, that came before Christ. You were wrong in your analysis. She didn't challenge any of the other things which were as obvious and easy. So what I did is I went to a site that tells the history of the Talmud, and I said, here, send her this, and ask her which is right, you or this, because this is the history of the Talmud. Right Now, some of the documents came from before Christ, but they were never used as the source. They were simply rabbinic commentaries on passages. That's all they were. They had no bearing on what she was talking about at all. None. At the time of Jesus, who did Paul look to for his guidance? The, the Bible. He the went. Bible, that's right, the Bible, Hebrew Bible. Scriptures. He even says it in there. Mm-hmm. That is an authoritative proclamation that Paul went to Scripture. And he says that himself in there. Right, He was defending what he believed was the God of the Bible, his Bible. And then he came to find out that the God of the Bible is the God that they're proclaiming Jesus. It's one and the same. But he stood solely on the word of the Lord. He just misunderstood it, all right, as the Jews to this day do. But they now have the Talmud and all these other goofy traditions in there as well. But the Talmud is what codified Jewish law. If you don't know what that means, it's what gave them the basis for the law that they have today. Okay? And it was all of this stuff that they drew out of the Bible, out of Jewish sources, out of commentaries from other rabbis. And all of this stuff was just compiled into this massive, massive document called the Babylonian Talmud. And that is what they use. Like I said, you have the Jerusalem Talmud as well, but that is not what is generally used for the codification of Jewish law. Anyway, sorry about that. Just wanted to get that out. 2-1. Um, She's
0: definitely going to fit. You know this.
1: And she knew she would from the beginning. She knew that she was going to fail this course, and she says, I'm going to do this anyway. So, good for, good for you. Good for you.
0: And you, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else or at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same thing. Do the
1: same things, okay. Now, who is he talking to? Is he talking to Jews? Is he talking to Gentiles?
0: talking to these herbers
1: well that's true uh, but you're going to see in the book of romans he really goes sometimes it's even hard to tell who he's addressing because he'll say you oh jew right and then he'll say oh romans or something you know so he gets into these things and you have to really be careful about who is he talking to but that's right he's in general he's talking therefore you are inexcusable oh man it's very clear he's speaking to anybody that as you noted is a pervert that's doing these things but does that include Jews? Is that only Gentiles? Is that everybody? And when he is writing, you've got to be attentive to that because there are times where scholars even debate who is, he does this also in the um, uh, writing in Galatians when he is talking to Peter. Remember he gives this example back in uh, uh, I, I challenged, I opposed Peter to his face and blah 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 and he starts giving what he said to Peter. But at some point it stops and he starts talking again to the Galatians and it's not really sure where this happens. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it's interesting how Paul's mind works as he's writing, but it's all under the inspiration of the Spirit. All of it is being given to him as he is working out his own thoughts. God is approving what he is writing. And so sometimes it's, it's kind of hard to tell. But anyway, let's go on. Um, two, one, and what is a masterpiece of subtlety? And Paul is very good about subtlety. Paul now begins to address the Jews, though he doesn't specifically state as much until verse 17. Let's go to 17. He says, Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. Right? Well, that means he had to have been talking to the Jews because he's talking to the Jews there, saying something about what he has been talking about. So he actually is talking specifically, oh man, but he's challenging the theology of the Jews. Okay, here we go. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, the reason for this is to build an argument to such an extent that by the time he actually names them, meaning the Jews, they have no way to turn back and claim innocence. Okay? Now remember, he's writing to the Romans, there's Jews there, he's writing to Christians, and he's got Judaizers, and there's just all kinds of people, and theology had not been really grounded yet. Paul's words are theology for New Testament. And... Um, uh, anyway they are sorting out what it means to be a Christian what does it mean to be a follower of Christ and we're still doing that what 2000 years later people are literally trying to sort out what it means and if we stick to the letters of Paul we're going to be sound Christians if we start getting into other letters and applying them as doctrine and I'm not talking about instruction and edification and all of the things that Paul says all of scripture is I'm talking about doctrine Paul we stick to Paul if we want to understand what Jesus was doing as far as under the law, where do we go? Matthew, Mark, Gospel and Luke, Luke right? Right. right? Well, John, yeah, John is a little Luke. bit different, but okay. Matthew, Mark, and Luke show us Jesus works under the law. Acts shows us the transition from the law and the people coming out of that, how they're, they're being worked into their lives, and then Paul enters in Acts 13. Remember that? The first 12 was all Peter. 1 through 12 was all Peter. And then all of a sudden Paul comes in and Peter's mentioned two more times in the entire book of Acts and like 157 times Paul is mentioned and everything that Peter did, Paul ends up doing. Everything, one thing after another. Luke is making this, or the Holy Spirit through Luke is making this this pattern of why the word is going to the Gentiles. The Gentile-led church, Paul. We get our doctrine from Paul. And he is doing this to the Jews right now, setting them up, being very subtle, they're thinking, what are they thinking? Because he's just given this, this discourse on the depravity of man, right? He's thinking about the dogs. The that's right. Gentiles. Yeah, and these that's what they're thinking. Upright. These guys are upright. So. They're upright. They're righteous. I, I've done nothing wrong. I'm a Jew by nature. You know, I don't need to worry about these things. But guess what? He's setting them up by introducing you, oh man, and then working his way towards verse 17. So here we go again. Um, uh The natural revelation of God has been given to all men. He said that in 18 through 32 of the previous chapter. And it condemns all. Where is another source for that? All are condemned. Psalm 51. Right? Psalm 51. David says, Surely I was conceived in iniquity. From my mother's womb I I was born in sin. I I misquoted that. But anyway, Psalm 51, I think it's verse 5. Let me see if I can find that. And think of another one. Where does it say that all are condemned? what's that well Romans we got that all All fall short of the glory of God that's true okay I'm thinking outside of Paul um, Psalm, I said Psalm 51 and I don't know what I my brain went dead and I was just flipping pages without paying attention for a second okay Psalm 51 it says um um, yeah verse 5 behold I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me all right there's another one I'm thinking more of the uh, Gospel of John Gospel of John anywhere? John 3.16. John 3.16. 18, 18, 18. That's right. John 3.18. <laughs> it says there, right here. He everybody knows John 3.16, and nobody he knows John 3. Condemned already. Because he had not believed in him and got the only God. That's right. John 3.18. And when people start getting smug about universal salvation, all you need to do is take them to John 3.18. Or if they're a little more understanding of it, it, original sin. Just take him to the 51st Psalm. That was another one that the lady um, in her thing said Paul invented original sin. That was one of the comments that she said in there. I said that's known from the, the second page of the Bible. As soon as you get to Genesis chapter 3 and all the way through it's introduced. I said just have her read Psalm 51. It's right there. Anyway Paul invented, do you know that Paul invented transubstantiation? He, uh, she went through, you wait, I'll bring it. Remind me. What, what did she say? She well, she thinks she's a professor. Yeah. Unless yeah. there is a professor with the title of Dolt or maybe subdolt. Uh, There's a lot of those. There, yes, that's what true. She, what she teach I don't know. All I know is it's a theology course, but I don't know in I, anyway, and like I said, I purposely didn't ask any of that because I didn't want to get into it. But um okay, we got John three eighteen. And um let's mm. see here. Um um where was it? Oh we're in two one, yeah. Okay, so um uh I'll read that again. The natural revelation of God has been given to all men and condemns all. We just talked about a couple verses. How much more than the very stewards of God's special revelation of himself? The oracles of God, the temple, and the glory. Right? How much more accountable are they? Instead of saying, I'm righteous, they ought to... Burke, in his commentary, if you don't get it, you should be getting Burke's commentary. He sends it out every once a week, and he's going through the book of Hebrews right now. And, um, uh, in his commentary, he said, let, let me go back and um, what, what was it that I uh, was just looking at? That um, uh, Oh, the Temple of the Glory. What was it? I just had something that you said in your commentary this week. It'll come back to me in a minute. And it was spot on. I may have even sent you a note on it. It was spot on with exactly this. And now I, I, I'm trying to highlight Burke and tell you to get his uh, commentary. And then I forgot what I was going to tell you. Sorry about that. Um, let's see here Um, the oracles of God the temple the glory they have God's revelation how much more accountable are they in the presence of God instead of oh I know what it was it was when you said I'm glad that's why I repeated that was so that I'm gonna forget it again Um, what he said was that people always claim how beautiful the law is and that is completely the opposite impression of what we are to get when we read the giving of the law in Exodus chapter 20 when we see the giving of the law in Exodus chapter 20, it is a law of terror. It's a law of death, and it is a law of condemnation. That's why when, and I was very detailed when I went through that particular passage in these words, nobody, every commentary that I read on the Ten Commandments, the giving of the Ten Commandments was, well, this is a marvelous law, and I I couldn't believe it. They completely missed the words, the specific words that were in there. Let me read it to you just real quickly. It said, um, Uh, It's actually 19 is where it describes the giving of law. Then 20 is the Ten Commandments. It says, Then it came to pass on the third morning, in the morning, that there were thunderings and lightnings and thick cloud on the mountain. The sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the the camp trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp. Uh, We'll go down to verse 18. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Kid it's only used three times, I believe, in the Bible. All three of them are wrath and judgment. One of them, guess what, is Sodom and Gomorrah, the smoke of a furnace. God is trying to wake us up to the fact that this is something really, really scary. And you're going to see it. And what did they do at the very end of it? Don't let God speak to us anymore, lest we die. They were utterly terrified at what they had heard. And you were spot on with that. I don't know where you got that from. Maybe you read my sermon or something, or maybe it just came to you. But that was spot on. And that's what Paul is saying about this right here.
0: Moses
1: said I'm 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 trembling that's right Hebrews I'm trembling Moses himself now that's not a quote from the Old Testament but you can infer it from the passages in there I'm trembling this is the guy that was there receiving it for the people and he was utterly frightened and that's what the law is it's there to frighten us and what are the purposes we got several purposes of the law before we go on give me a couple of them to
0: prove that you are right
1: to show that nobody is righteous before God right to show that we are utterly condemned all right we need something else besides law we need grace all right and it's to lead us as a Trust. Tutor, Trust. tutor thank you a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ and there are other purposes of the law but those are some of them it was not something that we were to say oh let's go back under the law like all these you know crazy hebrew roots movements and these judaizing sects out there that say let us go under the law again who would want to do that? We've been given grace. I just don't understand people. Let's observe the Sabbath. Jesus observed the Sabbath, and so should we. Are you kidding? He is our rest. Hebrews 4 3. Let's rest in His grace. Let's not try to go back and earn and offend Him. As I say from time to time, if what He did there wasn't sufficient, or if we believe what He did there wasn't sufficient, what a slap in God's face. Mm-hmm. What a slap in God's face to say, I know you did well but I can do better right oh man don't do that rest in Christ okay um, let's see here um, uh, oh yeah the Jews looked around at the people around them as he noted is heathen, outside of the graces of God this is perfectly evident from the innumerable passages which are in the Gospels just read the Gospels and they had this self-righteous attitude Jesus called them out on it again and again and they did not want to hear it to the point where they nailed them to a cross But Paul says that they are inexcusable when they judge because when they do, they merely condemn themselves. Remember what we were talking about before class, a particular verse? Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest ye be judged. That's what he's speaking about. He's not speaking about people making right moral judgments. He's speaking about people like the Jews that go from place to place to place, pointing out everybody's faults and never pointing back at themselves. Right? I've got a problem and I need to be right with God. That is what Judge Not you be Judge is. If you look at how it's written there, he's saying that it is a chronic attitude of people always finding fault in others but never finding fault in themselves.
0: Yeah, isn't that a, a, a misuse of the word? I mean, you know, to say that you have judged someone means right. that you were judge, jury, and executioner. You've gone through the whole thing. Right. If you use discernment... Discernment, say say, right. Is, it's not judgment. It's like basically, okay, there's a hot stove... Here's a regular table. If I put my hand, Yeah, you're, you're, using, discernment you're using, using
1: discernment, or you're using judgment, but right. it's not the full process of judgment. Right. But that's exactly what we said afterward. You weren't here when I said it, but what does Jesus say just a couple verses later after saying don't judge? He says to make right judgments. Don't cast your pearls before the swine, says, right? The that's right. Have the mind of Christ. Be like him in everything. He judged people. He made right moral judgments, and we are too as well. Would these people, especially liberals that don't believe the Bible, will always quote that first cue to try to get you to shut up? I
0: always love that an atheist trying to tell you. Yeah, an Bible atheist trying to
1: tell you theology. theology. Hello? Sure. You. Yeah, that's no good. All right, so um, but Paul says these people, the ones that are out judging everybody, meaning the Jews, are inexcusable when they judge because when they do, they merely condemn themselves. The very acts for which they find fault in others are found openly displayed in their own writings about themselves. Just read the Hebrew Bible. All the way through their history, the law was given to show us how desperately fallen people are. And he used the perfect group of people to do it. They are a microcosm of the world at large. If you have people that are intelligent, they're more intelligent. If you have people that are wicked, they're more wicked. If you have people that are prone to turning their neck to God, they're more so. They are like... they're like. The human race on steroids mm. and God chose them for that reason and so they could be the example par excellence of what God expects of man and how far far fallen short of him we are that's why he chose these people okay anyway um, these acts that I'm speaking about here in their own writings led to first the Babylonian exile right God warned him again and again he sent prophets Jeremiah the prophet right? You read the book of Jeremiah and you think, how can these people not listen? How can they not listen? And he says, it's coming. And they ignore him. It's coming. They throw him in a well. It's coming. They accuse him of something else. And then it comes and they're like, as soon as it comes, the people are exiled. There's a remnant left in Israel. They say, come, tell us what the Lord says. And he says, we will obey the Lord. He says, I know that you're not going to obey him, but I will get the word of the Lord. He gets the word of the Lord. And what do they do? They do exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. After the entire nation had been laid waste. unrail. Okay, so um, uh, after the Babylon exile, further written condemnation after the exile, the crucifixion of Christ, and then the Roman dispersion. One thing after another because they failed to live up to the law which God had given them, and they failed to receive the, the grace of Christ okay so um, and that's coming in this week's sermon I, I pro- spoke about it in last week. it's coming again in this week's sermon that the entire period of the law and there's a lot of people I'm sure that watch Bible studies that don't watch the sermons but they need to understand this the entire period of the law is a part of the law every single bit of it and the reason why this is is because you had the people given the law and they rejected it okay they built the golden calf at that time God says, I'm not going to go in your midst, and you're going to go up and you're going to inherit the land, because I promised that to Abraham, I'm not going to be with you. And that's when Moses went up and he mediated with them. And the way that the Bible is structured shows us that the entire period of the law is the giving of the law, all the way through it. And we know that, because in Deuteronomy, which I'll say this in this week's sermon, in Deuteronomy, he says, I will send a prophet like Me. me, right? And you will listen to him. And then when John the Baptist came, they said, they asked him a question. What did they ask? Are you you the the prophet? That tells you that the law is ongoing in nature. Because he says, he is going to speak my words. And they anticipated. It's not that you can say, oh, you inserted Jesus into that. No, the people themselves thought that it was John the Baptist. They had been waiting for that prophet. Okay? Jeremiah said, the days are coming when I will establish a... Covenant. New covenant with the house of Judah and with the house of Israel. When he spoke that, that proves that the entire time of the law was an ongoing thing, only in anticipation of something else. It was never meant to be a means to an end. Now, you're going to hear that again on Sunday, but maybe it'll sink in better. Is that everything about this was meant to lead us to Christ. Everything. And then Christ came under that law, and he fulfilled that law. Okay? It was an ongoing thing. And I said this last week, and I want you to understand this. Israel has been promised seven more years. Hmm. And so even those seven years are a part of that ongoing law. The law is annulled in Christ, but it's only annulled when you come to Christ. If you are under the law and you are living out the laws, they are, they will be judged by the law. Okay? the law that they are under is still ongoing for them. And that's Mm -hmm. proved in the book of Hebrews where it says that is given is passing away. That's right, it's passing away. And when is Hebrews written for? Based on the structure of the Bible, I've already told you. For the Jews after the church age because it comes after Paul's letter. So structurally, it's telling them that that which is abolished and obsolete is passing away. Seven more years they have for this ongoing thing in order to come to Christ. And they will, just as the Bible says. But this is important because most people think that the law was given and then they lived out the law. Every single word. If Isaiah said something under the law, it was to the people of Israel in addition to what they had already been told. It was a part of that. Every time he spoke of the coming Messiah, it was a part of that law. He's coming. He is coming. But every admonition he gave them was also a part of that law. It was an ongoing thing, and here's how I defended it last week, and one of you will remember. Jesus, in his own words, showed that Moses was the instructor of the law, because he says, those who sit in Moses' seat. In other words, Moses is the administrator of the law, even after his death. It is the law of Moses, and everything that goes on under that law, including the people directing Israel, sat in Moses' seat. It was called the law of Moses. It continued on until it was fulfilled in Christ. But it continues on for seven more years for Israel. Yes?
0: Well, I was going to ask you that seven more years, that means it's not a time of the Gentiles. They'll be self-ruling themselves, right?
1: Well, they, what they will be doing, it tells you what they will be doing. Let's read that real quickly just so we understand because this is who Paul is writing to in the book of, uh, right now in the book of Romans. He's talking to the Jews. He's going to get to the Gentiles again. But it's a good place to just stop and read. There are seven things that they are to do. I'm sorry, six things that they are to do. We're going to Daniel chapter 9. And I'm not going to get into any detail because it would take us the rest of the class and we've only got 35 minutes. But in Daniel chapter 9, he gives them six things that they... Now, if you are a replacement theologian, you're going to completely reject this. You're going to say that the law was one time... It was given, it wasn't ongoing, that it ended in Christ, and that the Jews are out, and that we are Israel, okay? We're not Israel. If anybody believes that, it's crazy. It is so obvious when you go through the Bible one verse at a time and look at what God is doing. Replacement theology is wrong. Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27. I'm only going to read you 24. It says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. All right, now he's going to break down the seventy weeks later. We don't need to worry about that now. But 69th week ended at Christ's, um, the time of Christ, when he was crucified. The prophetic time clock stopped. That's right, and it doesn't matter if it's a one day gap or a two thousand year gap. There is a gap in every scenario. Okay, so I don't let praetors say, "Well, there's nothing in the Bible that says there's a two day gap." Yeah, actually, there is. Book of Hosea says on the fr- uh, after two days, I uh, on the second day I will restore you after on the third day I will come to you. And he's saying, a day to the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Okay, so it does say that. But don't listen to these people. But here's what it says. It's six things that they have to do. Um, To finish transgression, to make an end of sins. How are they going to do this? Can the law make an end of sin? No, because they, they sacrifice every year, year after year. The blood of bulls and goats can never take away sins. That's right. okay. Every single year when they sacrificed for sins, it was a what of their sins? The covering. A reminder oh. of their sin. In Hebrews, I'm, I'm thinking Hebrews right now. It is a covering, but it was a reminder of the sins. If the Day of Atonement took care of their sins, they'd stop sacrificing, wouldn't they? But every year they had to do it again. It could never take away sins. So they have to um, finish the transgression, they have to make an end of sins, and they have to make reconciliation for iniquity, none of which the law can do. And then three good things to bring in everlasting righteousness. Can the law do that? No. Well, it can't, but it can if somebody can meet the demands of the law. So the answer is Christ. Mm-hmm. All right. The law can bring in everlasting righteousness if someone fulfills it. And the, the three negatives, too. They will go back to finish transgression. Who did that? Jesus. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay, to make an end of sins. Who did that? Jesus. And to make reconciliation for iniquity? Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> okay. So it can be done in the law but only by a person that doesn't already have inherited sin, all right? And so the law cannot do it except by God's grace. Bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Three bad things, three good things. And that is what they're going to be doing during those six years, is they're going to be trying to work out the law. And they're going to find that they can't work out the law that's the whole purpose of it, is they couldn't do it before. They were exiled. They couldn't do it the second time. They were exiled. You've got seven more years to figure this out, and only one-third of them will survive to make it through to the end of the tribulation period. One-third of them. There's Right now, I think I said in, uh, in that prophecy, about 6 million Jews mm-hmm. in Israel, Two, 4 million people are going to be killed. Imagine on a global scale what it's going to be like. Anyway, so that's what they're going to be doing. But yes, those seven years have been given to them, and that's why I say, even though the law is annulled in Christ, and I'm going to explain this very, very specifically in this week's sermon. So if you listen, think of that now, because I'm going to be very explicit, and I'm going to take you to an entirely different passage in the New Testament, and we're going to be in that for about half the sermon, so that you understand this. It's very clear what is being pictured in that passage. Anyway, it's entitled, "The Re- no, that's next week. Yeah, that's this week, right? The refulgency of God. What does that word the, mean? Okay, well I'm not going to tell you Because um, if I tell you now Then I'm going to spoil the introduction to my sermon Oh, I can tell you what it means It means the brightness or the glory Okay um, I'm going to leave it at that though Because I did something with that word one time And nobody got my humor Nobody And I'll I'll, I'll say it in the sermon on Sunday Anyway um, I, I, I just I really thought that somebody would get it And nobody got it Oh well, anyway Um Okay, but what, if I explained it, everybody would have gotten it, but I didn't. I just put it up as a, a picture on Facebook and nobody oh, got it. it was on yeah, it was on Facebook. I was so embarrassed I took it down. I just had it in my computer because nobody got it. But you'll get it after I explain it. You go, oh, I get it. Okay, let's see here. Where were we? Um, to understand that this concept surely applies to all men. Okay, even the greatest and beloved of God, we will refer to the pitiful story of David's Great sin, which is found in 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 9. So we'll go there right now. 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 9. And let me go back and remind you what we're looking at here. We're in 2 1. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O oh man, whoever you are to judge for, and whatever you judge, another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same thing. We got a perfect example of David. What was he? He was the king of Israel. He sat and judged the people, right? Somebody came in and they, they would bring their petition to him and he'd find fault in him or he'd find no fault. Perfect example, 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 9. 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 9. Okay, well, then the Lord said to Nathan to, uh, sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said to him, there were two men in one city. He's going to make a judgment on something that the prophet is bringing him, right? One rich and the other poor, the rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And the traveler... Who is he speaking about? Everybody here knows, right? He's speaking about Bathsheba. That's right, Uriah and Bathsheba. Okay, so he said, um, um, And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock, and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had, had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. He's judging, he's making a judgment. You, O man who do it, condemn yourself by your own judgments. Okay? Now, the Hebrew literally says here, The Lord, the man who has done this, is a man of death. In other words, it's a way of expressing that he deserves to die, all right? So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, oh, I said that. Um, And he said, he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah and if that had been too little I would have given you much more. Why have you then despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword you have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord behold I will raise up adversity against you from your own house and I will take your wives from before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. Guess who did it? His own son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. All right? Exactly what Paul is speaking of right there. Exactly. When you condemn somebody else, and you've done it, you condemn yourself. Okay? Um, so, um, let's see here. The man after God's own heart coveted. Committed adultery and committed murder, and yet he was willing to condemn someone else for the same but far less serious matter. Such is the nature of sin in the human heart. It affects all people and it blinds us, each of us, in a way that what we perceive in others often seems more wicked than when we ourselves have done the same thing. The what? Of course. Of course, that's right. Even when our actions may be much more heinous. John 8 1 through 12 gives us a similar example for us to consider. And we all know this one, but let's go to it anyway. Exact same precept, exact same precept. It says here, uh, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early, in the early morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a white woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act, and they're all guilty of it, every one of them. What did Jesus say about Adultery. If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, heart, you're guilty already. They've all done it. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, now Moses and the law condam- commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? So they're trying to get him taken out. If he says, yes, yeah, stone him, he's violating Roman law. And if he says no, then he's violating God's law. So they're trying to, it, they're being duplicitous in what they're doing. They said uh, this, they said testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and rode on the ground with his finger. As though he didn't hear. So when What's that? Oh, sorry. Um, uh, So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and (laughs) saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman? Where are your, those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more.
0: Right? That's those last few, those words. last few words, everybody forgets. Off. Yeah, off.
1: they crop them off. But let me tell you what. Yeah, when they, when somebody says, Well, Jesus said to forgive her, He said, Go and sin no more. Too. Guess what? Um, let's see here. Oh uh, well, yeah, life application here. It is true. The Jewish people of Paul's times were actually more accountable for their actions because they had the law and the prophets to tell them what God specifically expected from mankind. They were guilty. Every one of them. All right. As this is so, here's my question for you. How much more accountable to God are we now that we have the New Testament also written for us? The word is near to us. It's in our homes. It's on our computers. It's on our broadcast TV and radio. How can we escape God's wrath if we neglect so great a salvation as is offered through Jesus? Read your Bible daily and live out the life in accord with its precepts. I mean, these people were guilty, but all they had was the law, right? We they, got everything. We got the grace.
0: Only the, uh, only the uh, priests had scrolls. Well,
1: that's right, and they'd have them in the synagogue, and the people would go on Saturday, so they didn't have a copy at home to read like we do. I mean, even atheists, I said this recently, even atheists have a copy of the Bible in their house and they probably have two, right? We're all accountable. We've got so much church around us, so much availability. You turn on the radio and your hand slips and there's a Christian radio station and it's, you know, praying for somebody. And you think, ah, that's nonsense and turn it off. You're accountable. The Lord's trying to wake you up. Two, verse two. Wow, we're moving. We are. Now we know that
0: God's judgment against those who do such things is
1: based on truth. Oh, that's completely backward than the way mine's written. But we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. It's completely, yeah, but that's okay. It says the same thing. But uh, anyway, Paul says, but we know. It implies that it is perfectly understood by all. It is written on our minds as an undeniable truth. Okay, more so than it is understood by the Jews who had the written testimony of the history of the world and the repeated lessons which resulted from the disobedient heart of man. God's word maintained by them holds one account after another of the judgment of God upon man's disobedience. <laughs> and you know what? What do what do the Jews do when they look at man's disobedience? Where do they go? And what, what records do they cite? I can think of one right off the top of my head. Sodom and... Gomorrah. That's right. And that, even today, they'll bring that up. Oh, those wicked people! They're so bad, right? And what does Ezekiel, the Lord, say through Ezekiel to Israel? You're worse than them. Far worse than them. He yeah. gives perfect examples of this, and he tells them what will happen if they don't obey. <laughs> Leviticus chapter twenty-six, Deuteronomy chapter twenty-eight. Leviticus is in the first person. If you don't do this, I will come after you. I will destroy you. I will make the uh, heavens above you bronze and the ground beneath you iron. Right? And then in Deuteronomy 28, it's in the second person. Moses says, the Lord your God will. Right? But he tells them these things. And they completely ignore that. They completely ignore those things in their own culpability of their exile, of their persecution, of everything that has happened to them. And when I was over in Israel, I went with mom in 2003, and we were in Yad Vashem, and it was very, very moving to see. If you ever go to the Holocaust Memorial, you're going to say, wow, wow, I can't believe it. And when we walked out, I said, there's only one thing missing from this, this museum. I said, a copy of Deuteronomy 28 written in every single language where these people were exiled. Because the Lord, they can say, "Oh it was the people of the world that did this to us, and we're never going to let this happen again. It was them that did it to themselves. And the Lord actually did it because He says, "I will do these things, I will pursue you in every single one of them in order Leviticus 26 read the book of Habakkuk, you're going to eat your children, there's people eating their children, you're going to do this and there's do, it just follows precept by precept in the mm-hmm. book of Habakkuk. it tells what's coming on these people because they disobeyed the Lord. yes when he
0: said it would be more tolerable in a day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah right. as compared to there, what is, how does that contrast?
1: Oh, because they had the full revelation of God's revealed word in the person of Jesus. He came and fulfilled that law that told of all of these things. And so they would be more accountable. And you're talking about specifically a Judas, I think. Yeah, no, um, he said oh, no, you're thinking of Bethsaida uh, when he says, woe to you, uh, it would be more tolerable for them because they didn't have God's full revelation. All Jesus, they had was general revelation.
0: Jesus said, "Another dimension had the work been done in them." That That's the, right. You, they, they would have. And
1: Jesus is going That's in right. a dimension we're not even even and, thinking of. But it. where is the proof of that? Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah were they Hebrew people? No. No. And who is it that has accepted the word of the Lord? The,
0: the, the
1: Gentiles, Gentiles of the world, yeah. right? And so everything He said is validated in the world that we live in you go to a place in the world and you give them the gospel of Jesus and what's the first thing to do build a church start worshiping Jesus right uh-huh. but they had the full revelation of God's word at that time the special revelation of God they rejected it and then Jesus came with the completion of it and they rejected him as well and that's why he could say that is because what he said was true if they had what you had they would have repented long ago and dusted ashes where's another proof of that in the Bible Nineveh Nineveh the book of Jonah Jonah went up there and all he did was say, the Lord's going to destroy Nineveh. And the people repented, sat in dust and ashes. They even put him on the donkeys for crying out loud. Right? The king stepped down from his throne and he put on dust and ashes, uh, uh, sackcloth and sat in dust and ashes. They did what the Jews were unwilling to do and they did it with one guy who could have been a crazy lunatic walking through the streets, but they believed the word of the Lord. But they didn't believe people like Isaiah that were in the courts of Israel. Right? Now, not to get too hard on the Jews, though. As I said, the Jews are just a picture of the world at large, mm-hmm. right? Is,
0: but it's chosen. I always wonder, it's like, is that a good thing? Yeah, it, is so. that a good
1: <laughs> thing? Yeah, but the, the question that you said one time is one that's perfect. When they say we're the chosen people, you have to ask for them, what? chosen for what? For what? Mm-hmm. Chosen for what? If you're the chosen people, you tell me what you're yeah. chosen for. If you can answer that, I'll see you in church on Sunday, okay? Mm-hmm. All right, let's my, go on. My
0: neighbor across the street said that to me. She said, where's so the chosen?
1: Why are we having so much problems? Yeah, go back and read Leviticus 26. Maybe that'll help you out. All right, and then read the grace of Christ in John chapter 3, and it'll definitely help you out. Um, okay, let's see here. So um, um, where was I? More so disunderstood by the Jews who had the written testimony of the world and the repeated lessons which resulted from the disobedient heart of man? God's word maintained by them, I know I read this already, holds one account after another of the judgment of God upon man's disobedience. This judgment of God is according to the truth, Paul says. This can be interpreted in a couple of ways, and scholars do. They go both ways. The first is that God's judgment will truly come. It is inevitable based on our walking in a way contrary to his precepts. That's one view. Or the second view, which is more likely correct, is that God's judgment is based on the truth. In him, there is only holiness and perfection. There is no unrighteousness, and there is also, no, also nothing capricious or vindictive about him. His judgment is based upon his perfection and not some type of personal vendetta or arbitrary whim. And if you think about that, thank God that that is true. Because if he was vindictive or if he just got in a bad mood towards Charlie Garrett, mm-hmm. I would have been a, you know a cinder eons ago, right? And most of us are in the same boat. If he was vindictive or capricious, there would be no hope at all for us, but he's not. Yes?
0: Just finished Leviticus again. Yeah. He keeps telling them after all these things that I'm going to do, be ye holy for I am that's holy. That's right. <laughs> you know, I, I bet that's in there at least a dozen at times. At least
1: a dozen times and yeah. maybe more. Yeah. Be holy for I am holy. Yeah. And Paul cites that in the New Testament. Yeah. P. Oh, uh, Peter, thank you. Did I, what did I say? Paul. Uh, anyway, okay, Paul, yeah, Paul Peter. Paul. They both begin with P. It was close. <laughs> All right. Um, people who feel this way, okay, that God is has personal vendetta or arbitrary When People who feel this way about him have never taken the t- time to deduce what God is like. Instead, they simply accuse him of being a cosmic <gasps> bully or an uncaring creator who allows innocent children to die for no sound reason. They're awash in their own myopic version, dispelling any notion of an infinitely wise Creator. <coughs> Another one that you hear is the, that he's a cosmic child abuser. Have you ever heard that one? Because yeah. he sent his son to die on the cross? No, yes, and is, actually, yes. Real, real, well-understanding, I won't say well-grounded, but well-understanding theologians, they understand theology, will say, yeah, God is, he's a child abuser. And I think, can you imagine saying that about God? No. And, you Maybe know, you think that
0: about Abraham and Isaac. Yeah,
1: exactly. Especially that one. It's just unreal that people would even say something like that.
0: All right, God's about Hillary.
1: Uh, yeah, well, that's a little different there, definitely. God's judgment comes according to the truth against those who practice such things. Paul said. Let me read that again now. But we know that the righteous judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. All judgment is a result of sin and it is directed against the perpetrators of that sin the list Paul gives in the previous chapter defines these things but what about those who seem to be caught in judgment but haven't done anything wrong right what about them there are two distinctions that must be considered the first is that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God sin came through Adam and all have inherited this fallen state Psalm 51 5 John 3 18 right okay therefore no one can claim that they are guilt-free nobody this is confirmed as i said by jesus words of john three eighteen. so if you were to say and i had a person it was in our old grace bible class she used to say what about the dead little baby in ethiopia that's being eaten by the uh, the crows and I, no matter what i said she would not understand that we all are condemned already we're born in sin and it doesn't matter we are already condemned, and she could not understand that. She looked at God as capricious and vindictive, and she could not get beyond that. She had a son with her own with his own problems, and she just couldn't mentally get around that. She just couldn't do it. And she, she just carried this burden around with her all the time. She did not want to yield herself to Christ because she could not understand that everybody is in the same boat. It doesn't matter if you're a Mother Teresa that's doing good stuff all of your life or if you're the worst guy in the world. If you haven't come to Christ, you were both in the same boat. If you're a little child or if you're an old man, it doesn't matter. We're all in the same boat. And if people can't get their head around that, then they have a problem with God and they have to take it up with him. And finally, eventually, they're either gonna walk away from it or they're gonna hold up their hands and they're gonna say, you know what, you're God. I, I, I don't understand it, but I trust that you are God and that your hands are capable of taking care of this. I struggled with it, you know? How come? people suffer the way they do how come things happen I got a friend right now I was talking to her on FaceTime today she is dying of cancer right I saw her the last time I went up to visit her in January because they didn't think she was gonna last even until February so I went up to visit one day and she looked okay and when I saw her today for really the first time face-to-face I couldn't believe the difference you know what she loves Jesus she's just you know she's going through these body pains and it's sad But thank God that she has come to the understanding that Jesus is in control, right? And I have to keep reminding her of examples of the Bible, of people that suffered, and then it gives her comfort, you know? David, God's great king, suffered greatly when he was dying. And we had Isaac that was blind for over 40 years of his life, laying in bed, right? He loved Isaac. God is sovereign, yes? Job. Job! Mm -hmm. Oh, if I could
0: just talk to God, I could... Uh, it just all straightened out.
1: Absolutely. And
0: then when God
1: talk to him. <gasps> boy, I repent in dust and ashes. I've opened my mouth and I will not open it again because he understood that God is sovereign and God has a much bigger plan than Job. Yeah, right? where
0: were you, Job? Yeah, where
1: were you, Job, when I did this? Where were you when I did that? Look at this animal and look at how marvelous it is. Can you do that? Right? He had no idea what he was talking about, but we get stuck on self. We get our own little myopic view of the universe, and we say, "It's out of control for so me. It must be out of control." Greatly, so yeah, you
0: know, you got to. Yeah, that's right. Empathize a little with it. Well, God. that's
1: right. And when people suffer, you have to empathize. But you know, in the end, we all have to say, "You know what? You're God. I'm not, and so I'm just going to trust." Thank God for people like Johnny, uh, Johnny Erickson, Tata, who can give that's us strength right. yes. when we're going through our own troubles. Anyway, we're, what's that?
0: He did say, will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Yeah, that's right. He got, he got his attention, but Job was justified. But when he seen what God had done, he, he repented like you said
1: and sat. Absolutely. In Absolutely he did. All right. Uh, man is condemned already, and therefore there is no valid argument against God's judgment on any person. But secondly, some are taken away that are a part of the covenant community, and they have been cleansed of their past sins why is evil come upon them the answer can be found in isaiah 57 1. let me read it to you really quickly it's one of my favorite verses in the bible when people have trouble i say you know what maybe you're looking at this from the wrong perspective isaiah 57 1 is a wonderful place to take people when they're wondering these things the righteous perishes and no one takes it to heart merciful men are taken away while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil he shall enter into peace They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. People may die because God wants to spare them from seeing a worse evil in their own child or in their whatever, their husband or something. God has a plan. We may not know it, but God has a plan, and he's saying that we don't consider that, but we should. All right, he says, What we may perceive as some type of judgment may actually be God's grace in saving them from something worse which may occur. We don't have all the information, and therefore we must trust that what we don't see is still the right avenue and is based on his perfect knowledge. Um, uh, no, I just I, I smashed my finger a second ago. And anyway, um, let's see here. A little life, little life application, and uh, then we'll be done with this verse. We're almost done with the class. So we're not going to get into another verse. Um, uh, huh? Three verses in one day. This is amazing. We'll do seven next week. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, When we look at the course of life, politics, world events, and so on, we should attempt to see them in the larger scope of things and not have a myopic view of what is happening. When we uh, relate everything that occurs around us to ourselves, we will never understand why things transpire when we will naturally take offense. That's just what's going to happen. When everything is surrounded around us in our own life, then we're always going to take offense when things happen to us. That's just human nature. But we, we are not the center of the universe. We are a small speck of God's immense plan, which is being worked out for our good and for his glory. Mm -hmm. Keep this in mind and trust that he truly is in control. And if you don't believe that, hang on, let me get a, a, do I have a pen here? Hang on a sec. I got one right here. I, I knew that I brought one today. I always forget and I've got to get up and go find one. Um, but uh, let me take you if you want to wonder if God is in control we can go right here says here um, I'll just go here and he showed me a pure river of water of life clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore 12 fruits each yielding fruit it's each yielding its fruit every month The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. There shall be no no need for lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever. If you have any wonder at all if God is in control, or if he's not in control, all you need to do is just go to the last page of the Bible, and just check it out and read its promises, and you will find out that, in fact, God is in control. Right? Okay, we got a couple more minutes, so any questions or anything? Must have something. We got a couple more minutes.
0: I don't know. The Lord bless these last few minutes when our leader <clears throat> says a mistruth up there.
1: <laughs> well, anyway. Um, uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> So do we uh we don't have any questions at all we got we got to do something. Hey Linda you got any questions for us? Oh we got to Oh it's my mother's birthday. Let's say happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday dear mommy. Stop right there. They want to see you. Happy birthday to you! Come over here. Come over here, Linda. I got to get you into the. Uh... Susan Garrett, you got to come up here. No, There's your your church around the world wants to see you blow out your birthday cake, and I want to tell you that this is the very last time that you will see... move over here some more. Okay. Move over here some more. Okay. Now turn facing mom. There you go. This is the very last time that you will see her as a septuagenarian because tomorrow she will be an octogenarian. All right. Yay! Yay. Alright. Yes, they can stand. Okay, let's yeah. say goodbye to the folks online. Everybody, we love you, okay? We want you to have a wonderful week, okay? Bye bye.
0: Come on, Susan, you gotta cut it.